Good morning, church. Now, I got a bone to pick once again with Pastor Ariel. Third time, and now you just see this amazingly sweet, wonderful woman of God. But she tried me this month, right? Let me tell you how. She sent me already a Merry Christmas text. And I told her, hey, pump the brakes. I am not one of those. There's a lot of you out there. Show of hands. How many have started Christmas decorating? Don't lie. Wow. Wow. The blasphemy in this room. Y'all just act like Thanksgiving ain't a thing, huh? Just pretend like no day of gratitude for you, right? You're just itching to put that thing up. But listen, I am of the school. We don't put nothing up until the Lord gets his praise on Thanksgiving, baby. Like, I'm just trying to, I'm just trying to keep the holiday right. Now, Pastor Ariel, she's absolutely a Christmas girl. So I said, you can be in charge of Christmas stuff. But when she sent me that text, I said, excuse me, um, Thanksgiving first. Her response is, Thanksgiving's a day. Christmas is a season. How dare she? How dare she? But, you know, it, it's funny. Either way, obviously, this is that the season, and uh, there's there all the holidays in the air, and everything's going great. But uh, can I just be real and, and let's be honest this ain't the best season for everybody right uh there is such a thing called seasonal depression and a lot of it kicks up during the holiday season uh part of it is the anxiety of having to get together with family and having look, i love thanksgiving it's my favorite holiday of the year it's food family it's football but the level of stress i grew up with in my household leading up to that dinner still gives me PTSD to this day. Like the yelling and the screaming and the having to clean and, and just the, the ridiculousness of places you had to clean. It's like, go clean that little crack in the corner of the basement. It's like, we ain't going in the basement. Go clean your room. Why do I got to clean my room? Who's going in my room? And it's always like some random cousin that came from somewhere and your mom said I could play in your room. And it's like, dude, no. Right? And if you were that random cousin, yeah, you were annoying for that. I'm sorry. Like, we didn't want you in our room and such, right? And so there's this, there's this awkwardness and there's this anxiety to it. But the reality is there's, there's a lot of other factors that really are serious things for people. I mean, even just simple things like uh, the fact that you get out of work or school and it's already nighttime, right? Suddenly, 4 o'clock, 5 o'clock, until the spring, it's going to be nighttime. Actually, there's a debate going on right now in Congress to try to cancel daylight savings time because of that very issue. The problem is nobody can agree on which of the two daylight savings we should have. So should we have sunlight in the morning or should we have sunlight at night? I'm like, I don't ever see the light. I'm just always in a cave working and having three kids, so that doesn't matter to me. But the reality is the lack of sunlight has an effect on person's moods, has an effect on their disposition. Sometimes the holidays, yes, it's a time of family, but it also triggers the reminders of family that we lost. There's a lot of different emotions that come up. And so I want to take a moment today and I want to talk to you about this seasonal depression. And I want to talk to you about what is the Lord's answer, not just for seasonal depression, but, you know, just mental health issues as a whole, things that we struggle with. And I want to just make sure before I get into a lot of it, I'm not dismissing 
actual clinical situations. If there is a chemical imbalance and, and you need to see somebody, if you literally have genuine PTSD and trauma and things that you've gone through, you should talk to somebody. You should get help. I am an advocate for that. I don't think it's spiritual or physical. I think it's start with the spiritual and then let the Holy Spirit lead you into all other things that need to be done. And so I'm absolutely an advocate for counseling and help and medication when needed. I do think we rush to that sometimes because it's easier to take a pill than to walk through some of your trauma. But at the same time, we, I, I don't want you to misunderstand and say, hey, just, just trust in God and, and get rid of everything else. No, 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 no. If the Holy Spirit leads you and the Holy Spirit says, hey, listen, yeah, you got high blood pressure and you need to take some medication until you get that under control, then you do that. Okay, so I'm not, I'm not disqualifying. So I don't want you walking around afterward telling yourself, Pastor Joey said I can get rid of all this and just... No, no, some of you stay on your meds if you need to, okay? We don't want you, we don't want Thanksgiving to be that crazy. But on the other side of the extreme, I think we, you know, we, there's a greater awareness of mental health, and I think there's a greater risk of self-diagnosing. And people are quick to be like, I have depression. No, your dog died. That's sad. That hurts. That's, that's not clinical depression that's sadness and God gives us emotions to process the things that happen to us and so it's not that these things are bad it's that we're not utilizing them in the way that God has formulated it it's a process and so we're, we're too quick sometimes to self-diagnose and then label ourselves as such there is a balance between this and it all starts with going before the Lord and saying well God what do I need to do to make sure that I am in balance as best as I can be with what you've given me and I think Philippians Philippians chapter 4 gives us great insight into that. If you have your Bibles, let's look at Philippians chapter 4. And there's just a couple of verses here that I think give us a lot of insight. Verses 6 through 8. Philippians chapter 4, verses 6 through 8. Listen to what the word of the Lord says. It says, do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. There's a recipe that we're giving here, a, a list of instructions on how to handle the anxiousness of life. And, and again, you can be anxious and not have anxiety. You can be anxious about a test. You can be anxious about a, a proposal. You can be anxious about a potential uh, you know, upgrade in your job. There's all types of reasons that we might experience anxiousness or worry or drama or, or just fear. All these emotions are going to come at us for one reason or another. But I love what the scripture gives us because the Bible doesn't leave us hanging and say, well, you figure it out. No, the Bible is the greatest handbook in the world. It's the greatest instructions that have ever been given. And yes, the Bible covers everything, even seasonal depression. And so if you're taking notes, there's a few things that I want to highlight in those verses that we read. I think steps that God is asking us to do. And the first one is simple, calm. God's telling you to be calm, right? What does he say? Do not be anxious about anything. Be calm. Breathe. They teach you sometimes too, like when you have, uh, when you struggle with anxiety attacks, there's techniques that you can do in order to 
calm yourself. One of them is breathing through pursed lips for a count of 10. And so it's almost like you're whistling, you inhale because when you get anxious, your body adrenaline revs up, your heartbeat revs up, everything's going out of whack. And so you literally have to stop, inhale, and then slowly. And in doing that, you lower your heart rate, you calm your nerves. You know, I've had asthma most of my life. And a lot of times when you have an asthma attack, anxiety goes through the roof because you think you're dying and you potentially can be. And so anxiety goes through the roof. So I had to train myself in those moments to calm myself because the reality is I can't do anything else right now. And so I had to stop. I have to close my eyes. I have to just relax myself as much as I can in order to then deal with whatever it is that's going on. Being anxious or even more anxious or going nuts in all these situations is not going to help anything. It's only going to make it more complicated for you to deal with. Look at Luke chapter 12 gives us a little bit of a better insight into that. Verse 22 through 26. Then Jesus said to his disciples, therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life what you will eat or about your body and what you will wear. For life is more than food and the body more than clothes. Consider the ravens. They do not sow or reap. They have no uh, storeroom or barn, yet God feeds them. And how much more valuable you are than birds. Who of you by worrying can add a single hour to your life? Since you cannot do this very little thing, why do you worry about the rest? What is he saying here? Worrying isn't helping you. Worrying isn't going to make things easier. You're actually compounding your issue. And so you have to learn to not worry. And now, I, I know what some of you are saying, what's easier said than done. But look at all the, uh, the, the new husbands in the room are engaged. Matthew, you're engaged. Are right? you guys about to get married? I'm going to give you some great advice, all right? For all the new husbands, all the veterans, you know what I'm talking about here. Listen, the next time your fiance gets a little anxious, gets a little crazy, Look her dead in the eye and say this, calm down. <laughs> Listen to me. Just look her dead in the eye and say, hey, I got the answer for you. Calm down. I promise you, you will get a one-way ticket to Sofa City, my friend. <laughs> promise you. Obviously, I'm joking, but don't get mad at me later. Like, it's a joke, okay? Listen, no... <laughs> Nobody calmed down by being told to calm down, <laughs> right? As a matter of fact, you get more anxious. Now, I'm not just anxious. Now, I'm angry. I got both of these. I'm, we're going to AA right now, anxious and anger, and we're coming at you. Just telling someone to calm down doesn't work, but I need you to understand, God is not saying just calm down. He's not throwing it on you. God gives you a way to calm down, and we find that in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 7. What is the scripture saying? Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. So he's not just saying calm down. He's saying take the thing that's removing your calm and give it to me. Cast all your anxiety on him. Why? He cares for you. I love that it says that's the reason. He didn't say, hey, cast all your anxiety on me because I am the God of the universe and I have the strength of everything and, and I am all powerful and I can handle all your anxiety. Even though that's true, that's not his reason for why you should cast your anxiety on him. The reason is, I care for you. You know what? A lot of times when I find myself anxious, really what I'm looking for is people that care. 
Just want to know, like, again, let me give you actual advice, Matthew. This is good. This is actual advice. <laughs> when your wife comes to you and she's anxious and, and got everything going on and she is unloading on you, resist the temptation to fix her problem. She doesn't want you to fix it. She just wants you to go, man, that, that stinks, babe. Wow. I'm sorry you're going through that. And then she'll look at you and go, thanks. <laughs> Gentlemen, I, and I, listen, I'm not, I don't think it's generalized. It's not just, but I think a lot of times, guys, we have this temptation where like somebody comes to you with a problem and say, I got the answer. And it's like, I didn't ask you for one. I just want to unload right now. Listen, sometimes they just want to save space to talk about stuff and, and to just say what's going on. But here's the reality. People don't always, aren't always able to handle all your anxiety. They might be able to handle some of your anxiety, but how many of us have people in our lives who are like, you're just, you're just too much. Like, I love you, I care about you, but I'm not God. And you're like, I, I can take a little bit of you, but you're unloading all your anxiety on me, and I'm just not built for that. And so we get frustrated, and we get angry at friends and family because they're not there for us. No, they're there. They're just not equipped to handle all that. All right, you ever just like met somebody and they unload their whole life on you? are like, I just, sir, I just work here. Like, I don't, <laughs> when I said, how was your day? It was kind of like just part of my job. <laughs> no, no, we got to learn to turn to God and to unload on God. And so how do we do that? I'm glad you asked. Philippians talked about that. Right? He says, do not worry about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, we are called to communicate with God. Communicate with God. That's the second step. So first of all, God is telling, hey, be calm. You got to calm yourself. But, it's, but how do we calm ourselves? By communicating and unloading on God. There's been so many times as a pastor when I'm counseling somebody that all I do is ask questions. And, and as I'm talking or as I'm asking questions, I'm not saying much. I'm, I'm talking maybe 5% out of the conversation. And how does that make you feel? And why do you think that's that? And I'm just asking questions. And what I find more often than not is the more I let you talk, the more you can unravel what's going on. The more I talk, the more I'm causing more issues for you. And so sometimes, you know, we'll be finishing the conversation. They'll be like, man, thank you, pastor. That helps so much. And I'm in my head going, I didn't say anything. But I'm glad I look good right now. That's, that is to my benefit. What did I do? I gave you an opportunity to unravel yourself. The problem is that you go to me before you go to God. That you go to your spouse before you go to God. That you go to your parents before you go to God. That you unload on your children before you go to God. See, these support systems in your life, these people that I was naming, they all care for you, but they are not built or equipped to carry the magnitude of anxiety that you're carrying. And so your first directive should always be to go to the Lord, to unload on the Lord. What can I tell you that is greater than what God can speak to you? And so you come to me for advice, and I'm like, dude, I am not the Lord, okay? I'm a 38-year-old dad who's trying to figure out his own life. And you're like, you're talking to me, I don't, I don't know. I've never been in that situation. I don't know what that's like. I've never sat in those shoes. But I'll tell you what, we have a great and high priest who understands everything we're going through, who is attentive, who has invited you into the throne room to say, come and talk to me. He has to be first and foremost, and we got to learn to do it. There's a couple things I want you to understand. Listen, Ephesians 6.18 says, And pray in the Spirit 
on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert. Always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. So I love that it says we pray on all occasions. There is no situation where it's inappropriate to pray. There is no situation, you know, we measure, we're like, I don't want to bother God. How can you bother God? Uh, that doesn't even make sense. You think God is that small that your issue is what puts it over the top? That, that you are, oh man, I was doing good. I was juggling the universe and then you had to come with that drama in your life. That God is greater than any of our situations. Oh wow, that was a big shout. Yeah, thank you. Uh, so, so he can handle all these things. But notice, and that verse is a spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. Do you notice there's a distinction there? Prayers and requests. Unfortunately, we have minimized prayer to just requests. And we treat God like a drive through Where we pull up, we spit out our order. Can we get a number three, and a happy meal, and fries on the side? And you want apple pies? And two apple pies. And you spit this order out, and God's like, is there anything else? And you're like, no, God, thank you. And they say, my pleasure, and you keep moving. And that's it's our relationship with God that becomes transactional. Because the drive through is meant to just, hey, give me what you need, and then move on with your life. We're not here to have a dog. Could you imagine, again, having a conversation with the drive through person? Hey, can I help you? Yeah, you know what? It's been a rough week, sir. <laughs> And they're like, mister, there's a line behind you. We need you to, to hurry up. But prayer is not meant to be drive-through. Prayer is communication with God. Not just bringing your request before the Lord. That may be part of it, but that's not all of it. It's more than just asking for stuff. Prayer is a dialogue between you and your creator where you unload all your burdens, where we express all of our emotions, where we wait on guidance and revelation. It is sitting with the creator and having time alone with him. Listen, it's, it makes me laugh now because you guys know I got the, the three little ones. And I always call my wife on my commute. So if I'm leaving work or if I'm leaving a meeting or whatever, I call my wife on the phone and we talk. Do you know why I do that? Because that's the only time we can actually have conversations. Because when I'm home, the kids are always fighting for our attention. And there are times where I just want to talk to you. And sometimes there's a little bit of silence on the phone because there's not much to talk about because I live with her every day. And so sometimes I'm like, can I get two days to go do some stuff that I can come back and then tell you about them? But the reality is, even in the silence, there's communication. Hey, how are you doing? I know it was rough today with the kids. Are you feeling okay? Do you need me to get you anything? All right, I'm going to be home at this time. Hey, can you do me a favor? I need this or that. Like, we're just having a dialogue as a married couple. And you guys get this, right? If you have kids or if you're in a marriage or even with your parents, like, it's just being with them. We need to learn to do that with God. Where we just sit in his presence sometimes. We're, we're in such a rush. We're like, you know, we, we limit our prayers to praying for food and praying before we go to sleep. But where is the intimacy with God? Could you imagine if you reduced your relationship with your loved one to just that? Where we talk for two minutes before we eat and talk for two minutes before I go to sleep. It's not a healthy relationship. And in the same way, we need to be able to, to talk to God, not just ask God of things. I think sometimes we're scared to be transparent and real with God. As if we're going to offend him and he's going to throw lightning at us. Do you know that it's okay to air your frustrations with the Lord? Even your frustrations of the Lord with him? 
Or you could say, God, I'm, I'm angry with you. I don't understand why you're allowing this to happen. I don't get your plan. I'm frustrated with you. But you know what I found? Every time I've unloaded, even in anger towards God, it doesn't take long before I come back to the realization it's just not even on you, God. I'm so sorry. I'm just upset right now. And God has never turned me away and said, how dare you say that about me? I think our God is, is pretty secure that he can handle your frustrations. But you're not strong enough to not give them over. So if we can learn in a healthy way to just regularly unload on God, because listen, routine maintenance is always gonna prevent major overhauls. So if you learn on a regular basis, man, God, I'm just frustrated today because, you know, Pastor Izzy was driving me nuts at work and, and I'm trying to help the guy, but he just wears those loud pants and I don't, <laughs> you know, he just, you get in there, my deacon's out here dying his hair blonde, Lord, I don't know what to do. <laughs> He's just frustrated and annoyed. You know, I remember one time, this is in a, in a more serious moment, I, a lot of times, what I would, most people don't know this, but ever since I became a pastor, I have keys to the building. And so there were times where I knew nobody would be in here and I'd just, I'd come into the church, I'd go to the sound booth, I'd put on a prayer, uh, a worship list, just some background music, and I would battle with God in the room. I mean, yell, I would yell, I would cry, I would shout, I'd literally fall on my knees and have pools of tears and I would just unload. I just needed a safe space where I can fully express myself before the Lord. And, and when I couldn't do that, and sometimes I'd go for walks, something about being in nature, I always felt like just looking at his creation and being among it. It didn't matter the setting, what mattered was who I was talking to. And so when you can learn to, to unload your burdens and your fears and your anxiety on him, there is such a powerful release that happens in your life. And then in addition to all that, as you're talking, he invites you to bring your supplication, your request before God. So again, just think of it as a regular conversation. If my child is, is unloading and they're talking to me about all this craziness that's happening, naturally as a loving father, my response is going to be, so what do you need me to do? How can I help you? Not because I feel obligated after what you said, but because you're mine and I love you more than I love anything else in this world. And so now that you're hurting and you've unloaded and, and I want you to feel like you can do that, what can dad do to help you right now? So when you speak to the Father and you're communicating with the Father and you're unloading on the Father, it is only natural for the Father to say, what can I do for you? And obviously he knows, as any good father knows. But this is the invitation for you to say, God, I need you. I need you to make me less scared. I need you to help make this situation come to fruition. I need you to help me in this medical crisis. I need you to bring my loved one back. I need you, God, more than I've ever needed you. And to be okay with understanding, I'm not bothering God, he is my father and he is inviting me because of this relationship that we have through Jesus to cast my cares upon him and bring my requests before him. This is not some foreign God who doesn't care for you. This is a God who is intimately familiar with all the pain that you are going through. And he cares for you, not just to carry your burden, but to answer your prayers. And here's the truth. God has a pretty good track record. Those of you who've been believers long enough, there's something you can always look back to, probably several things, where you can turn around and go, and you were faithful then, God. 
and you were faithful in this situation and you were faithful in that moment and you were faithful when I didn't think it would happen. And it's because of those faithfulness that we can do the third thing. What does the scripture say? Bring all your anxiety, right? Cast it on me. And with prayer and supplication, then he adds a caveat, and with thanksgiving. Why? Because we have to celebrate what God has done. Right? We have to celebrate what God has done, even the little things. Right? Because if we don't, then all we fix it on what's not going well, and we forget about the things that are going well. I was telling some people, I finally, by God's grace, and I have every reason to celebrate this, I finally bought my family a minivan. Yes. Man, if you know me, that's, that's months, almost a year of looking and hunting, and I knew exactly what I was looking for. I wanted a, a, a Honda Odyssey, right? It was between that and the Toyota Sienna, and I'm like, I want a Honda Odyssey, and I want it from this year to that year, and I want it for this mileage. And I mean, I had some prayers, and loving friends would always send me something like, I don't want that. That's not what I want. This is what I want. So I was hunting it. I'm familiar with it. I mean, I just knew all the ins and outs of that car. And then suddenly, the city of Chicago became flooded with Honda Odysseys. Man, everywhere I went, I was seeing Honda Odysseys. I'm like, no wonder I can't find anything for sale. Everybody drives, what an amazing car. Everybody still drives them. Nobody sells their Honda Odysseys. Now, obviously, there wasn't sudden massive influx of Honda Odysseys. You're just always going to notice what you're looking for. You're always going to notice what you're looking for. So if you're always looking for the worst outcome, that's all you're ever going to see. If you're always thinking about the worst case scenario, that's all you're ever going to notice because that's what you're looking for. That's what you're attentive on. And so, you know, some of you, you sit there and you play every horrible scenario that could potentially happen and you have anxiety because you think, man, my spouse one day, there might be a plane that falls and hits them on the road. (laughs) Now, I mean, is there some mathematical possibility where that could potentially happen? Sure. Planes in the air, ground, I mean, sure, yeah. Some astronomically small percentage of a number could potentially have that happen. But is that enough to sit there every day in fear and in worry that a plane might potentially one day fall and land on your own? Come on, that's ridiculous. And yet, some of you can't help but just let your mind drift into all the worst case scenarios. Well, if, if, if I go to that event and what if somebody talks to me and, and, and what if they ask me questions and I don't have good answers and now they judge me and now they think I'm a loser and then everybody at church hates me and then I got to go find a new church and I like that church and then I like you go through all these random steps and it's like ain't nobody even thinking about you like that. <laughs> like you painted some random crazy scenario in your head. And again, some of you have self-fulfilling prophecies. Because that's what you're looking for. Listen, 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 through 18 tells us rejoice always. In other words, sometimes that joy gets low. You got to fill it up again. Pray continually and give thanks in all circumstances. For this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. It says to give thanks in all circumstances, not for all circumstances. I'm not saying you got to be thankful for something terrible that's happening in your life. But how many know you can be thankful in the midst of something terrible happening in your life? Because that's what the Bible is teaching us, right? That no matter the circumstance, you can find a reason to be thankful. Oh, well, I'm just tired because, man, I've been working so many hours this week. But you know what? Thank God I got a job. 
I could provide for my family. You know what? Oh, my, my, my wife and I, we've been fighting and we've been going back and forth, but hey, thank God we've made it this far. Where's James at? James, you in the house? Come on, my man James. 55 years married right over there. Come on, James, 55 years. <laughs> That's who you got to clap for. She looked at me, she said, 55 years on a lifetime sentence, baby. She's doing good. <laughs> Listen, James, you think in 55 years you never had a fight? Come on. Come on. But you know what? Rather than arguing about what we're going through, let me give thanks to God that we get to go through it together. Right? There's always a reason to give thanks. Well, I just got a bad medical report, but thank God that I got treatment. I got options. I have an opportunity. I have insurance. I live in a country where there's help. Like, thank God. There's always a reason to thank God. No matter how crazy the scenario, no matter what's going on, because gratitude over God's previous faithfulness is what births hope and futureness. Right? Future. That's not even a word. And future hopefulness. When you think about his faithfulness in the past, and you celebrate what he's done, suddenly hope rises for what he will do. Because you remember, and here's the, the best part, right? When you think about the faithfulness that he's had over your life, when you weren't obedient, when you weren't following him, when you didn't deserve it, when, when you should have got the opposite of what you received from God, and you recognize that even in my worst, God had my back. So why wouldn't he be for me now? See, we got to learn how to celebrate. You got to take inventory of God's goodness. You got to sit down every day and maybe, listen, if you're going through a season of depression, if you're going through those moments where anxiety is getting the best of you, I challenge you, sit down in your prayer closet and start writing down all the reasons you have to praise. Some of you need an actual physical reminder of God's goodness. And by the way, if you're sitting there going, Pastor, I got nothing. Well, let me tell you something. To the believer in this room, if you got that, if you got a relationship with Jesus Christ through the death and resurrection of our Lord and Savior, you, you have every reason to be thankful from now until eternity. Because guess what? When we get to heaven, we're not going to be sitting there going, you know what, God? Let me go through all the things you didn't do for me. No, when we stand before God, we will fall on our knees and worship in adoration of our creator. And we, here's the biggest thing. I thank God I made it here. Man, I wasn't perfect by any means. I didn't do everything I was supposed to. But I put my faith in you, God. I trusted you. And now I get to celebrate you with everybody else who did. And so we got to learn how to remember his faithfulness. And then number four, let me finish up here. When you do all those things, you get cover. He says, when you calm yourself and you Bring all your anxiety through prayers and supplication with thanksgiving that the peace of God, which nobody gets, it goes beyond understanding. What does that mean? When people look at you going, how are you so calm right now? How are you so at ease when everything else is falling apart? I got no verbal answer for you. I don't even understand it. But the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your heart and minds in Christ Jesus. Interesting what the peace of God guards. It guards the two primary areas where anxiety lives. Your heart and your mind. Where your thoughts and your emotions dwell. We need God's help to protect our thought life and our emotions. 
Our thought life gets the best of us. Our emotions take us where our spirit doesn't want to go. In John 14, 27, Jesus said to his disciples, peace I leave with you, my peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. See, the peace that the world offers isn't peace in as much as it is distraction from what's going on. So you might go and, and, and get a massage and for 30 minutes, you know, you feel like all your cares have gone away. But listen, on the drive home, your back's going to hurt again. That stress is coming back. You might sit there and listen to music, but the song is going to finish. You might have a wonderful conversation, but you still got to go back into that situation that you're going through. The peace of man is not eternal, and it is not what God gives. And yet the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, is able to accomplish what no other peace can accomplish. Why? Because you don't have to let your hearts be troubled, and you don't have to be afraid. I do not give to you as the world gives to you. But notice that John says, do not let your hearts be troubled. We let our hearts get troubled when we dwell on what we can't control. Right? You ever had a kid who's like, you know, it hurts every time I do this. Stop doing that. (laughs) But it hurts every time I go like this. (laughs) Stop going like that. (laughs) And listen, we're no different. It just hurts every time I sit in this room quietly, turn off all the lights and cry. Stop doing that. I'm not saying don't mourn. I'm not saying don't process your emotions. I'm not saying don't feel sad. What I'm saying is don't dwell in that place. Don't make that your home. When we, when we doubt that God can help us, and so we flood our minds with our need to help ourselves. We, well, I prayed and I asked God, and so why are you still sitting there trying to figure everything out on your own? Why are you sitting there with that calculator trying to make the math math? When God said, trust me, I'm going to bless you in this. I'm going to make you happen. Again, I'm not saying be idle. I'm saying dwell in his presence, not in the presence of what's causing your anxiety. Romans 15, 13 says it like this. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him. So how do we get filled with joy and peace? How do we allow ourselves to do that? It's as we trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. So as we put our trust in him, worship team, you can help me out. As we place our trust in God, it begins to fill us up. And it fills us up to the point where it begins to overflow. And let me be transparent with you. People like that who are overflowing with the joy of the Lord, who are overflowing with that peace, who are overflowing with hopefulness. Let's be honest. Those are people we want to get around. You know, there's some people in your life, you're just like, man, every, just, every time I'm around them, I know I've been kidding with Pastor Earl. Pastor Earl's exactly like that. You know, we can come to the office, everybody's tired, everybody's getting, Pastor Earl comes in, hey guys, I'm like, yeah. I need some coffee and some Pastor Ariel. She brings that energy in the room. And, but you want to be, unless you act like she's not going through stuff and she doesn't have things happen in her life. But, but she's not going to bleed on you, she's going to flow hope over you. And so I'm not saying fake it and pretend like nothing's happening. But listen, when you're somebody who's constantly negative and you're like, well, no one wants to help me. No, it's just that no one wants to be around you because you're draining. You're draining. It's like, it's not that we don't love you. It's that you're going to us for what you should only go to the Lord for. You're venting on Facebook, venting your prayer closet. 
You're venting to all your neighbors and your friends. Vent to the Lord. Like take all, I'm not saying bottle it up and explode on everyone. I'm saying this is the proper way to deal with the anxiety and the stress of what's going on in your life. Let me close with this. There was a season in my ministry where I was dealing with a lot of stuff. It had nothing really to do with me personally, or at least I thought. But it was a lot of just ministerial things, just trying to be there, carrying a lot of people's things that I probably shouldn't have been carrying. And over that time span, I remember one day I was uh, on a double date. My wife and I, at the time we were just dating, we went with another couple. And suddenly I, I had what I thought was an asthma attack in the movie theater. And this was unusual. Um, my asthma's been under control. It's mostly like sport-induced. And so I was like, I don't know why I'm feeling this way. And it got to the point where it was really scary, and I went to the hospital. And I'm at the hospital, and they're checking everything, looking at my oxygen levels. And the doctor comes by, and he goes, Mr. Silva, your oxygen levels are fine. Your airways are clear. You are the one that's not breathing. And I'm like, yeah, idiot. That's why I came to you. Like, I can't breathe. And he's like, no, Mr. Silva, you have to breathe. It's you. What I didn't understand at the time is I was having an anxiety attack. And then a couple months later, I had another one. And I was struggling in that season. Now, here's the thing. Mentally, I was fine. I wasn't like dwelling on anything. I wasn't thinking about anything. But growing up, I was always bad at expressing myself. I always just kind of bottled it all up and exploded at inappropriate times, like a lot of people do. And so there was stuff that was happening to me internally that even though it wasn't mentally you know, the Bible says to love the Lord your God with all your mind, all your soul, all your heart. Those are the makeups of who you are. Your mind, body, and soul, it's all intertwined. So even though mentally you might feel like you're fine, you might be off spiritually and it manifests itself physically. Or you might be off physically and it manifests itself mentally. That's all kind of correlated. And so I, I was struggling and I didn't know what was going on. And, and the anxiety actually did induce asthma. So I ended up breathing with like 50% lung capacity. And I'm all over the place. I'm a big mess. And so I started looking into counseling. I started looking at medication and, and trying to go to my doctor and getting my asthma under control. But you know what helped more than anything? I sat down with some godly men in my life and I unloaded. And more than that, I went before the throne of grace and I unloaded. And then it's not just enough to unload. We talked about all that already. But then I shifted my mindset. Point number five. We got to learn how to concentrate. What does scripture say? It gives us things to think about. Okay, it's one thing not to think and not to dwell on all the negative and bad things. But then where does my mind go? Because by default, your mind, your heart, your spirit will always wander to the negative. So what do we think about? Whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about those things. So what, what, are, what are examples of that? What we do in the first 20 minutes of service? Listen, you come in here with all types of issues. Some of you have knockout, dragout fights in the parking lot. They're like, wipe your face, we're going in church. <laughs> Listen, I've, I've had it. Where we show up and, and my wife is in tears because we're going through some stuff. And I'm like, you, you can't walk in there crying. They're going to think I hit you or something. Like, I can get arrested. I lose my job. <laughs> 
And if you know Cicely, she's like, she, her nose gets red, her eyes, she cannot hide if she's been crying. But she's just processing things. So I'm not naive to think we don't come in, but listen, can I tell you something? There's something incredibly powerful about corporate worship, about the people of God crying after the king of the world, the king of the universe. And there are times where I didn't feel like worshiping and the worship of the people lifted me up in that moment and encouraged me and got me to think about all the wonderful things of God and got me to think about his faithfulness, his kindness, his goodness, his gentleness. That's why Romans 12, 2 reminds us, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is for your life. Good, pleasing, and perfect will. And then Colossians 3, 2 says, set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. Look up. Don't stay looking down. So I'm going to ask you to stand as we get ready to wrap this up. In a moment, the worship team is going to lead us in a song of thanksgiving. Before they do that, I'm going to ask you respectfully, would you just close your eyes for a moment? I'm going to ask you to shift your mindset this morning. To remove it on all the negative possibilities, to to take it away from, from all the, I'm going to die alone and nobody cares about me and no one's there and I don't know how I'm going to pay this situation and I don't know how this medical diagnosis is going to unfold and I don't know how my kids are ever going to come. Take your mind off all that. And I want you to first and foremost celebrate in your heart. Man, where has God been faithful? What has God done in your life? Some of you are standing next to your miracle and you've forgotten how faithful God was. Some of you are literally here because of the miraculous grace of our Lord and Savior and you've forgotten how good he was. Yeah, you might be hurting. Yes, you might be struggling. But I want to celebrate and then I want to shift my mindset on you, God, the author and the perfecter of my faith. And as we shift that mindset, as we go to what he's done, and then we go to who he is, in a moment as the worship team leads us, I want you to begin to cast your cares upon him. And listen, if you're in this place and you're saying, Pastor, but I'm really, really going through it, then while we worship, if you need prayer, I'm going to have our prayer team come up. You can come up. We can pray for you individually. But all across this room, would you lift up holy hands? And would you just begin to thank God for the things he's done? Would you just begin to thank God for his faithfulness and his goodness?